We're ready to start the next session, which is going to be another uh, a talk by Sandy Jaitley. Um, we he was missing until just recently, and there's speculation where he was. And I I opine that I thought he was buying gold, so. <laughs> And uh, that may or may not be true, but uh, here he is. <laughs> Thanks very much, Daryl. Um, this isn't going to be as lively as the previous previous lecture, I'm afraid. I, I can't match Daryl's skills there. Think Open University 1975, and that's where we're going at the moment. Um, <clears throat> it's quite an eclectic talk, so please try and bear, bear with me. <coughs> Stops to flow. So, Rudy mentioned earlier about stocks to flow with various commodities, and I talked about that a bit. But you can look at it slightly more in depth as well. Um, <coughs> there are many commentators who say things like, Silver is consumed, you know, it's consumed and it's no longer there and it's not there, you know, it will never be there again and there's only, there's only a billion ounces in, in inventory and there's 160,000 tons of gold, therefore silver should be uh, a tenth the price of gold. That's the kind of logic they use. But that's, that's, that's wrong. Um, all of the copper that's been mined since the beginning, beginning of time is, is still there, as is all of the silver, platinum and palladium. But it might not be there in accessible form. Um, so the price would need to change in order for that to happen. And then suddenly it will be there in marketable form. So, this is just a, a simple diagram here. Now, the actual dynamic between marketable inventory, I should have put marketable there, and scrap stock is very important when you consider the whole stocks-to-flow stocks to flow ratio. So someone mentioned yesterday about peak gold. You know, and that, that, that could mean something, you know, for the gold market. Um, but the gold market is actually quite strange. Because there's virtually no difference between scrap stock and marketable inventory for gold. Which is completely unlike copper. So when you look at scrap stock, that should really be, not inventory, as a percentage of supply, total supply to the market, you can see that gold and silver consistently have a very, very high proportion of scrap supply, of scrap coming to meet total demand. And when you look at something like copper, it's pretty stable and pretty low. So out of all, all copper supply, up to 15% of it was from scrap. Whereas for gold, silver, you know, we're talking about 25 to 35%. Now, how can you account for the difference between the two? Well, gold stock is, is, is unencumbered, you know. Gold, gold jewellery in the form of 22 karat gold jewellery in India can quite easily be turned into 400 ounce bars with a two-week lag and a little bit of premium. But there's essentially no difference between stock of gold, scrap stock of gold, and marketable inventory, 400 ounce bars, whatever you want to call it, of gold. And that's unlike copper. There's hardly any cost or lag with converting stock gold to marketable inventory. But what about something like copper? The change in the bid to cause a significant change in this for copper would have to be much, much higher than it would be for gold. Because the copper is not available at the current price. You know, the, the biggest gold mine in the world is actually the Pacific Ocean, 
It's not on land. And it's gold in microscopic form in the oceans. Now, if I came up with a device that could gather all of these microscopic particles and create 400-ounce bars, um, that would be good. If I told you it cost me $5,000 per ounce to do it, though, then it would be not so good. But if the market bid came to 5,500, 5,000, whatever, then it would be a profitable enterprise. So there is no such thing as consumption of metals. It's always there. It's just a case of what bid in the market will be required to bring it back. And for everything apart from gold or silver, the change in the bid required would have to be much, much more substantial. There's very little difference between scrap stock precious metals and marketable inventory of precious metals. So this is one of Rudy's old charts. We've got the stocks to flow ratio there. His new chart has silver in there as well. And it's pretty much the same, pretty much the same as gold. And if you put on the precious metal, uh, the other precious metals, platinum and palladium, they'd actually be fractions of this crude, which is the smallest one, fractions of this copper. For example, marketable inventory of platinum is about 10 tons, and annual platinum production is about 200 tons. So you can obviously see the big, big difference, big difference there. So this is stocks to flow for commodities, little sidestep here. You can also look at it for currencies. Now, everybody likes to bash the dollar, you know, because we all know what they're doing, monetizing debts and blah, blah, blah. And uh, Philip just told me today that uh, the Royal Bank of Scotland, the venerable institution of Lloyd's TSB, have been given another £50 billion by Her Majesty's government. Now, you can see that that the stock of dollar is actually much larger than the stock of all of the other currencies. Don't forget that. You also have to realize as well that, yes, America is debasing her currency, but as a proportion of the dollars already in existence, it's actually minuscule. You know, even though America might be creating $1.2 trillion and the United Kingdom might be creating only half a trillion dollars. That means that you should buy sterling and short and short the dollar. That's not the correct way of looking at value because proportionately, the half a trillion or whatever that's created by the United Kingdom is a very large proportion of the stock of sterling already there. Whereas the one and a half trillion that the US, that the Americans are creating is a very small fraction of the dollars that are already there. And this is a graph of GDP deflators since 1960. Now, the United States, you can see pretty much a monotonic increasing trend there, but look at how volatile the other countries are. You know, massive periods of of inflation followed by deflation, all this mess here. So whatever people say about the dollar, you know, it's, it's, it's not really borne out in practice. You know, whenever people say dollar crisis, they should actually say paper crisis. <coughs> so before we move on to the basis, we should have a discussion about what is a price. Now, classical economics, as in wrong economics, says there is always a price, there's always a price, and there are people who are willing to trade around that price and shake hands around that price. Um, and that's how market prices are established. That's actually complete rubbish, you know. There's no such thing as the price of Unilever in London. It always depends upon what you want to do. 
If people decide that they want to take the bid or the offer, then they shake hands and then the price is bought, not the other way around. So it's a game, chicken and egg, that classical economics gets completely wrong. Now, the best bids and the best offers get to sit in a lovely building called the Marketplace. I'm quite willing to bid for Unilever. Unfortunately, I'm only willing to bid £15. Someone else is willing to bid £18. He's the highest bid, so he's in the Marketplace. Right. On to carrying. Now, does everyone know what to carry a commodity means? Keep it in storage. Keep it in storage. Does it, the actual mechanism behind how you carry something is basically you buy the spot at the offer and you sell the future at the bid. And hopefully there is a positive difference between the two and that's the premium that is earned by the warehouseman, the person who chooses to, to do this as a living. Now, warehousing is actually one of the simplest businesses to do. You know, you, you buy a warehouse, you look for the various carriers available on whatever commodities you can store in your warehouse, and you go for the, you go for the commodity with the highest carrier, assuming that it's not going to go any higher. It's a very, very simple job. You know, I buy oil at $70. I sell oil three months forward at $76. And I carry the premium. Um, in the meantime, the carry could go higher. And the marked market of my positions will be in a loss if I want to unwind the position. But if I hold it to expiry, I will still get that $6 premium on the capital that I spent to buy the oil in the first place. So this was on the beginning of July. The various carries that you could get on different different commodities. So if I want it's it's all annualized. Um, so if I wanted to buy silver and sell forward, I wouldn't get a very good premium. Same for gold. Copper a lot better. And if I have a, uh, an oil storage facility, well, I can get 15% annualised from just storing oil, which isn't a bad return at all. Now, the implied premium on the physical is basically, doesn't mean anything for oil and copper, but for gold and silver, that's equivalent to the lease rate. So the error that Keynes was saying was that this is like an oil interest rate and this is like a copper interest rate. It's not, you know. You can only have an interest rate for something with the highest stock-to-flow ratio, basically. So if a positive spread exists between spot and future, then the commodity can be carried profitably. So what actually happens when the warehouseman goes into the market? This is an example of lumber here, where you could get 24% annualised by just storing lumber. Spot offered at 185.70, November bid 204.20, carry $18.50, that's 10%, annualise it 24%. Not a bad premium. So, when the warehouseman takes action, the carry at that instant will fall because he bids up the spot and he, uh, sorry, he takes the offer on the spot and he hits the bid on the future and the carry will fall. And if enough warehousemen do this, the carry will keep on falling until the marginal warehouseman refuses to do it no longer and will not carry will not carry that particular commodity because the spread is not attractive to him, it's not sufficient to him, and that's when the marginal warehouseman will stop. So we talked about the carry, which is the profit that you can make from carrying. 
Mm. What about the profit that you can make from decarrying it? Mm. Now, by decarrying, <laughs> I mean selling at spot and buying forward. Now, normally, if you think about it, if a commodity is in a high contango, there is no profit to be made in that, by definition. You know, you cannot sell spot and buy forward for a profit. If you can, the only person that can actually make an action upon it is someone who has the commodity in the first place, or someone who can borrow the commodity. Otherwise, you can't profit upon it, and it signifies something else. If there's no inventory available to actually take the arbitrage away, then it will not be arbitraged away. So we have to ask ourselves, why would the decarry profit, why would that, why would it be above zero? You know? And that would only be in the case of shortage or expected shortage or something else. You know? In the case of gold, it's, uh, it, it means all of those and a hell of a lot more. Okay. Right. So we have to say to ourselves, what... We've looked at it in the forward direction. We've said, if there is a carry available, then the warehouseman can make a profit. But we have to look at it the other way around. What does it imply? If you, you, it's very hard to monitor total warehouse stocks generally of all commodities. So can something be, can something be inferred by looking at it the other way around? You know, if the carry is high, does that say something about, does that say something about warehouse stocks? Now. It doesn't, really, um, because a constant carry of, let's say, 5% implies, sorry, a constant decarry, let's say, of minus 5%, plus 5%, sorry, means that if you sold spot and you bought forward, you could get a 5% profit. So selling spot gold, let's say, 1084, and buying the future at 10.63. That's a profit that can be made to anyone who has the ability to, to sell spot gold or borrow gold and lease, it, lease gold and sell it and uh, buy the future. But that doesn't really say anything about, it doesn't really say anything about the state of the warehouse. All it implies is that warehouses are empty and or they are about to be emptied. That's all it says. It does not necessarily mean that there are no warehouse stocks as soon as something goes into a backwardation. This is where we come to the concept of duration. And I turn to the whiteboard quickly. Store the commodity for a certain period of time. So, 
this chap here is storing it for, for one month. Uh, or that's the amount that is being stored for one month across all warehouses. That's the amount that's being stored for two months across warehouses, and so on. And you can assume that when the person, when the warehouseman put that trade on, he did it profitably. Yeah. If there was no positive carry available, as in you could only get, let's say, if you bought the spot at 300 by spot and sell forward. It is un it's unlikely that that was the situation when these guys put their trades up. They're not going to buy something at 300 and sell it at 299. There's no profit in that. There is a, a smart trade in that, but I'll talk about that later. So you can assume that when these warehouses put all these trades on, it was done because they bought at 300 and they sold at whatever, 300 plus, plus a profit. So what does that tell us? What can you do from that? Well, what can you say? What can you say? If you see the carry, the carry available turning from being positive to negative basically means that no further warehousing can be done. Now, no further warehousing can be done doesn't mean that the warehouses that were already there are empty. You know, they're still full. But, you can map all of these people into one number, as it were, and that's the duration. The duration that the commodities are being held in these warehouse stocks. And it will be, it will be, however you calculate duration, I think it's, a, it's an interval. So it will be somewhere, let's say, here. So what you can say is that if the length of time for which the carry is negative is an excess of the duration of the warehouse stocks, then you can basically say that the warehouses are empty. Otherwise, you cannot say that. Is this all clear? If it's not clear, please, please just Tell me how uh, maybe did you just say it? Really? It was clear right up to the last statement. Okay. Let me just get another pen. Could I just take it one step back further from that? I actually got confused by how you ascertained where that line of duration was. Okay. So that's basically like the center of gravity of the warehouse, the duration. Is it a median or a mean? Sorry? Is it a median or a mean? Well, it, would, it, it, it would be, it would, it, it's, it, it's a weighted average, so it would be, it's, it's calculated as a weighted average. What? So if, okay, I'll show you. If that's, let's say, 10, <coughs> 5, <coughs> 3, 11, 9, then you take a weighted average of the amounts and you will have the time here and it will be represented by just one big bar which is equal to all of these added together and it will be a particular duration D. That's what it's equivalent to. So time is the weight. Yes. Yeah. Time. Time is the weight. Yeah. Right. Okay. Is that clear? Yes. Okay. So basically, what I'm saying is that 
All of the little warehousing are equivalent to one big warehousing with a particular time to duration till they end. Now, all that you can say is that if the carry is negative, as soon as the, 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 the warehouseman always needs a positive carry in order to make a profitable business, he always needs a profitable carry in order to have cash flow. Now, he's sitting there and he's seeing positive carry and he's thinking, Good, good, you know. Um, by the time this stuff comes off, you know, I'll be able to reload it and I will be able to buy a spot and sell futures at a premium and still make the uh, still make a still make a margin. Still able to feed my children and wife. As soon as he sees the carry go negative, he realizes that as soon as it comes to the end of his duration, he won't be able to carry the commodity profitably, and so he'll sell it. Now, the actual observation of each of these people is damn hard. You know, I can't get the summation of all gold warehouses, as it were, and you need to know the intention of the people that are warehousing them, as in the split of the time. Um, and obviously that kind of data is impossible to get hold of unless you're sort of the chief executive of the exchange or something. But what you can say is that if the carry has exceeded in time, the duration, whatever that is, of the warehouse stocks, it's not a, it's not a calculable quantity unless, unless you are that chief executive, then if the, if the length of the, the time period of the carry being negative exceeds that duration, then for sure the warehouse stocks will be empty. Okay? Is that clear? Now, there's a difference between the carry going from positive to negative and the decarry. Now, just because the carry available has turned negative, it doesn't necessarily mean that I can now sell my spot and buy futures for a profit. You know, that, that would be if the decarry premium goes above zero. But what if it does go above zero? Well, if the decarry premium goes from being negative, positive, which is not equivalent to the carry going from positive to negative, because there are four prices, the bid and the offer of all of the, okay, then you can basically say that the warehouse will empty a lot more quickly than, um, than the duration, because the warehouseman could, could actually liquidate the position for a, for a, for a, for a much larger profit than he could have otherwise. So, what I'm trying to show here is that it's impossible to look at this. This is an unobservable, this is an unobservable part of the market. But the carry and the decarry are perfectly observable. You know, you can monitor those quite easily for any commodity. So what can we say at the moment with regards to the gold and the silver market. Well, as we all know, in December, the market went into backwardation and it ended, I think, sort of mid-January. Now, most commentators didn't actually see that because they were calculating the basis by looking at the midpoints of the spot They're looking at the midpoints of the spot in the future and taking the difference. You know, that is not an actionable trade. 
if the, if, if, if the spread of the spot in the future started to widen equally, they would see no change in the basis. Whereas anyone who's calculating it in the correct way, by referencing the bid and the arse of the correct contracts, would see that something pretty major is happening, you know. I'm not going to mention his name, um, but uh, I think we all know who he is. Um, Sam, is everyone got that? I just think maybe no, there's a, no, no. Okay, can I just talk yeah, to yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, because sure. I think, go back to these funnels. So just remember, the carry is the difference between these two, okay? Because we're talking about the ask and the bid. The D carry is the difference between these two. So what Santec's saying is that as this changes, you can see here that this line is still higher, which means that you're getting more money when you sell for what you what you bought. When this goes like that and the line drops, then you, you're losing money on that. You wouldn't do that trade. Okay? Now the other side that he's talking about is the D carry, which is these two. So you can see here, in this case, you actually won't make money on this transaction because you're selling here. Um, and buying for much more. But it's when these two things go like that, and this line here and this line here go there, then you start making money on that sort of transaction, which is the decarry transaction. But these two things move together as well. So as this thing's going from here, and now it's moving up, these brown and green will also come down. And then there's this crossover point where this one would go here, and you wouldn't make money on that, but you wouldn't make money on this either. And it needs to fall a bit more, and then you start making money. And what Sandeep's saying in this point is that if you calculate the basis by looking at the middle, and the middle, you're not really looking at anything that's real, because you can't trade at the middle. You can trade only at these price points. And there'll be this point, if you look at that, so right here, this could go flat, and there's no carry. But someone looking here would go, yes, there's a carry, but there isn't. Because that's the real carry. So, thanks, Ron. That's the same time. Sometimes different view. Yeah, sure, different view. Yeah. Thanks, Ron. I was just joking, would he trade for me if I gave him some? That's good. We are lucky with gold and silver because we can actually see fairly visibly the total warehouse stocks, you know, but we can't see the duration for which they're being for which they're being held. So um, what happened last December was that the D carry premium went positive for gold. And if you annualized it at its maximum it was about two and a half percent, which meant that if you sold spot and bought the December contract. On an annualised basis, you can get two and a half percent on the D carry spread. Obviously, if the D carry spread is positive, it implies that the carry spread is negative. That's just simple maths. Now, it's not the fact that you could get a profit from doing that. It was the fact that it shouldn't have happened at all. And there are many reasons. Sorry, there, there's only one reason why it shouldn't have happened with gold, and that's because it's got the largest stocks to flow ratio out of any commodity. So, alright, 2.5% wasn't that much, but that's not the actual, you're missing the, the, the wood for the trees, you know. The fact was that it shouldn't have happened at all. So we had that, okay, and it lasted for a while. It lasted until mid-January, when the price spiked up, and the backwardation, the profit available in the decarry spread went away and it became negative again. Now, if you wanted to carry gold at that juncture, you couldn't do it profitably either. But that's neither here nor there. The point is that the decarry premium, this, this psychotic value here, was no longer positive. It was back to being negative as it should be for something like gold. So we knew that it, it was about, what, six weeks from the beginning of the backwardation observations to the end of it. And yes, and basically gold warehouses did not empty, <laughs> you know, silver warehouses did not empty. Okay, so all you can conclude 
is that the duration of gold that is being warehoused and silver that is being warehoused is well in excess of six weeks. You know? Well in excess of six weeks. Now, I, if, you, if any individual would think, well, I bloody well hope so, you know, but the point is, though, the more observations and the more times that we see the D carry turning positive and for longer, and the more we see warehouse stocks changing as a consequence, you're getting closer to the actual duration of the actual duration that the gold is being held for. But you can only observe that when you have consistently longer and more strong decarry premiums. Now <coughs> yeah, go I was going to say not necessarily if the actual amount in storage yeah. declines over time. You could you could you could have later in time a, a period of negative or profitable decarry yeah. that in the past was not long enough yeah. to 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 signal that there was no more gold, but mm. that, that ends up being long enough in the future. Yeah well you have to observe the actual warehouse stocks as it's happening in real time, basically. That's, that's, you know, you can see the decarry being positive for however long by your calculations. You have to then go back to the warehouse stocks to see. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Okay. Um, so what's our contention is that it was only six weeks at the beginning of the year. And as we go forward, the decarry premium is likely to return again and be longer <coughs> and be longer and longer and longer. Doesn't mean that there's no gold in the warehouses. But then when it exceeds the duration, whatever that is, we don't know what it is, you know, you'll find that there are no, no stocks of gold left in the warehouses, no stocks of silver left in the warehouses. Not because there's been a shortage, but because it can't be carried profitably. And that's much... That's the other story really. Um, are you making an assumption on, on the little lumps that these, these stocks are locked in for a certain period of time? Yeah. Isn't this pretty well open? I mean, if, they, if someone contracts store my gold, theoretically you can take it out at any time. So I'm not sure how these... Uh, now these chaps have bought spots and sold for those guys. Yeah, these guys, the warehouse. <coughs> They're not private gold just sitting in a warehouse. No, no, no. At no, no. your convenience. Private gold sitting in a warehouse, you know, that's not hedged. You know, has infinite duration. You yeah. know, that's that's. Okay. It's it's the person that's bought spot and sold forward. That's the sum of all of these people. Yeah. <coughs> Sandy, if I understand correctly, the the possible carry trade here. Mm. Is that not the same as the basis? Positive carry. Well, there are two bases, basically. There's the carry and the decarry. Yeah. Oh, it is the it's trade in the basis. What, sorry, what do you mean trade? Well, um, well, it depends what you want to do. If you want to carry it, then the basis that you look at is the carry premium. Now... But it is the basis, that's what he's saying. Like, like, no, that's... It's, it, 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 it is the basis, but... You've also got another basis, you know, because the basis is defined as the difference between futures and spot. But there are two futures prices and two spot prices. You see what I mean? Yes, I do. So there's no such thing as a basis. You know, it depends upon what you so want to do. There are two bases. Yes. Okay. So let's create a name for the second one. But you, then you have to define the first one as well. Okay, the so second, call, second one, call the second one the co-basis. Yes, okay, so we can call this one basis. And this co-basis. In all of my works I just refer to it as carry and decarry. But yes, 
you can consider basis as being the carry available. Okay? So there are two there are two two bases. And they vary independently. And they vary independently. Okay, there's there's no fixed relationship between the two, which is why you have to monitor both of them. Can you say something about the permanent backwardation? What configuration of the bases and the co bases yeah. would bring it about? Okay. Let me just rub some of this. So believe it or not, at the moment, okay. So for a commodity that's in high high supply, you know, no problems, uh, delivery, etc., etc., what you will find is that the carry. The basis is positive. <coughs> and the D carry, the co basis, as we now christened it, is negative. So this would be, for example, the oil market at the moment, where you can get 15% annualized from carrying. So what happens as you approach a backwardation? The carry will come down. And this will start coming up. And eventually, in permanent backwardation, you will find this situation. So you'll find that the co-basis goes positive and the basis as defined here goes negative. And this has never happened so far? It did in December. In December. How long did it last? Six weeks. Six ah, weeks. So then it's not permanent. It wasn't permanent. Okay. So what happened after that was we reverted to this situation. Not this situation completely, it was actually quite a, and this is what we will be going through in the next lecture. It wasn't as, as smooth as this, you know, it was actually quite, quite violent. But what we saw was a return say from uh, the end of July, we saw a return to that situation as we had before December in the gold market. So here, you know, this was from the beginning of 2008, Jan. No, sorry, that was, uh, <coughs> this was March, uh, June, July, So from July 2009, we saw a reversion back to a normal state of carry, where you can carry gold, albeit only for 20.2% annualized or something like that. And there was no profit available if you wanted to sell spot and buy forward, which is the way that you action a profit in a backwardation. There is no way to action a profit at the moment by selling spot and buying forward in the gold market. Now, that was from July 2009, when the price was about, you know, I don't know, 9.30, something like that. So somehow, we were all in a state of worry but uh, something happened and the market was restored to a comparatively normal situation. The contango. Contango. Positive basis and negative co-basis. Now, we'll be debating about what could have caused that in the next lecture, but that's the current state 
of the, of the gold market, where you have a positive basis and a negative code basis. Now, inferentially, that means that there is no problem with supply at the moment. So whatever, whatever you hear in the press about tightness and blah, 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 well, it should be reflected here. You know, and if it's not reflected here, then it's all a load of nonsense, basically. And whenever I picked up my phone to my dealer, who's one of the largest ring dealers at the LME, um, I've had no problem in getting a quote for whatever size of bullion I want to buy. And I think from there's been no problems. No problem. No, no, 400 ounce bars. Do you mean supply in terms of those that make it a business to warehouse and carry trade? Yes. You don't mean supply in the sense of what's the building like? Well, no, in, in the sense that I want to buy it. You know, I don't know how they're carrying it. It could be naked or warehouse. But when you're talking supply, you mean those that make it a business to provide supply? Yeah, yeah. Which are the, which are the big ring dealers and, and whatnot, you know. So that's where we are at the moment. That's where we are at the moment. And silver was actually the first one to revert to a normal carry, and gold followed soon after. And silver had actually been in a much stronger backwardation than gold, right up until this period here as well. And then we reverted to a normal situation in both metals. And if you actually look at the current gold to silver ratio, it's about 63. So even though gold is going up, you know, silver is underperforming at the moment. So we're, we're all happy that gold has reached a new high, but we should be cautious, cautious because the gold-silver ratio should actually be going lower if this is the final blow-off, you know. Silver should lead the pack. Permanent backwardation in silver will precede permanent backwardation in gold. Should I the ratio? <coughs> the ratio at the moment is about 62, 63, and we, 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 we reached a lower level, I don't know how many months ago, but it's certainly not at the, the lowest level. So the ratio should be going down? It should be going down if you're expecting Armageddon and permanent backwardation. <laughs> Now, whether it actually does or not, you know, I can't tell, you know, but the warehouseman is not in the business of speculating on the price. So if he sees a carry rising, he should be taking it on. Which is, again, where we come back to the point, it's not the absolute level of the basis that matters, especially. Because what can we conclude if the basis kept on rising? Will the spot not follow? I'm not talking about prices. This is all basis. Okay. Well, if the rate of change of the basis is increasing, it basically means that the warehouseman who put on a trade here tomorrow would be at a loss if he tried to unwind the trade because the next warehouseman can come in and store it more profitably. Mm -hmm. Now, if each subsequent warehouseman can store the thing more properly, uh, more profitably, it basically means that you know there is absolutely no problem with supply at the moment. Okay, and you should be worried, you know, if you're if you're long the market in anticipation of a shortage. We're not in this situation yet in the gold market. We were we were for a while but it's sort of leveled off. We actually did something like this. Well, that's where the differential quotient comes That's where the differential quotient comes in. What about the uh, code bases? 
Uh, the same applies there. Same, uh, uh, except in reverse. Is that clear? Are they mirror image of each other? No, they don't need to be. They don't need to they be. They don't One need these to be. Goals and the other yeah. Okay. yeah, they don't need to be. Sandy, why, why is it that silver backwardation will always precede gold backwardation? Is that because you've operated off the ratio for that? No, it's just because one would expect it to happen in silver before it happened in gold. You know, because all right, you know, stocks to flow is a lot is a lot less for, for silver than it is for gold. Less. Not a lot less. I mean, you know, eighty versus sixty or okay. something like that. Significant enough to make that significant enough to make a difference. Yeah. You know, yeah, but still well above any other commodity. Sure. And can I just say, silver is significantly more costly to store than gold. <laughs> as well, you need to factor that in. You know, it's big and bulky. And I've got to tell you, you know, the sort of if you look at actually the value density of gold, you imagine you've got this room, you want to fill it. If you're a warehouseman, yeah. you'd say, well, I want to set the storage rate that if I fill this entire room with silver or I fill it entirely with gold, I still make the same amount of money. And if you do that calculation, it, I, I haven't. Done exact numbers, but it would mean that a storage rate of one percent for gold could be something like ten or fifteen percent mm. for silver. Yet they aren't, are they? Mm. You know, you, you know, even ask the Perth Mint does it at one and a half for gold and two and a half for silver. Yeah. You know, so but the reality is, the reality is that if you're serious about it as a warehouseman, you know, silver is significantly more expensive to carry. So yeah, it, it would be a completely different game. Get rid of it first. Yeah, basically, <laughs> you know, that's you the bottom line. Um, I just want to reiterate that point about the rising basis because it's actually akin to um, the professor's comment about falling interest rates being falling, not low, falling interest rates being bad for the being bad for entrepreneurial activity. Because someone who who conducted an enterprise at a particular interest rate will be priced out by a competitor who can do exactly the same thing when the interest rate is lower. So if you have continually falling interest rates, as opposed to being good for business, it's actually bad for business. You know, because no one can actually fix the... Basically because you're always outpriced by someone else. You know, someone else can do your business for a, for a, much, lower, for a much lower cost, as it were. So this is a, a rising basis, a basis with a differential quotient that is rising, is equivalent to that. You know, the warehouseman here, yes for sure, I will, I will buy, spot and sell forward for 1%. The next day, if I could have done exactly the same thing and made 2%, you know, it means that supply is coming very, very quickly to the market and warehouse space is running out. So it's, it's, it's meant to, is, is that clear? Is that clear? It's the quotient, it's the differential quotient of the basis that matters. So at the moment in the gold market, there isn't actually much movement. You know, we're just doing this kind of thing with the December contract. The most important thing, in my view, is the code basis, you know, and this is doing nothing. You know, it's staying more or less where it is. It carries forward slightly. Which is completely different to the way it was back here when we have the basis rising sharply, oh sorry, falling sharply, and the, the decarry premium going up at the same time. The what, what is it? Sorry. As what period did it fall sharply? The basis, oh. it was from the beginning of December to sort of mid-January. And where can one observe this happening? Uh, <laughs> You need to have uh, a feed directly to an exchange. I mean, I have Reuters and Bloomberg terminals um, and access directly to the COMEX market. But um, you basically need to have, a, you need to be able to, 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 to see the, the spot price for bid and the offer in real time in conjunction with the future bid and offer, the nearest future bid and offer. Um, and you see what's available. I can tell you how to calculate it later, but you see what you can do, not what you could have done, which is another mistake that basis commentators make. 
I don't care what I could have done. I want to know what I can do now, basically. So basically, people like us have to rely on people like you writing on the internet. Yes. Or you can get a Bloomberg They're only £70,000 a month. There's a much cheaper way. Just to open up a, a futures, the gold futures trading account. It costs yeah. you about $50 to open it up. You have to encourage the broker signs of putting a few thousand dollars in there. But they'll give you a platform and on your computer, a bit of software, that gives you all these numbers. Okay. You would have to find a way of getting that onto a spreadsheet then, and I don't know how to do that because unless you're very quick at calculating and you see numbers, you know, I have a spreadsheet that calculates about 2,000 tick calculator, takes the median of 2,000 tick observations at around the, uh, the PN fix in London, which is where the most action is going through. Is it gold? Warehousing basically the banks? Uh, it could be, it doesn't need to be. Um, I was just wondering what proportion of people buy storage. Um, or people have got your gold on deposit would be bullion things and things. Yeah. I don't know the split between private versus banks. It's, it's, it can, it, it's not really relevant. I mean, you could set up a warehouse yourself and you know, buy spot gold and sell futures. You, know, you don't need to be, you know, especially, especially, uh, especially versed in financial markets to do it. It's the most simple form of arbitrage, you know. But whether they're the banks or private individuals, I would say that it probably is the banks. You know, they, they would be long spot gold, short futures against it. It's actually a good trade to have, like the potato future trade when that collapsed, you know. When there was the potato famine and the futures went to zero, but the spot went very, very high. So you've got a sort of free, free call option on, on uh, economic Armageddon by being long spot gold and being short futures against it. In the meantime, you're earning a little bit of margin, but even if it costs you a bit to do that, I would still rather do that because it's a free call option. Well, it's not free, it will cost you whatever the loss on the carry is, but it's a, it's a call option on economic Armageddon to buy spot and sell futures against it. So if I was a smart bank, and I know there are a few out there, you know, I would do that. I would do that. So yeah, probably there are many banks. Uh, just to close out a little bit of my hopeful understanding of what you've been saying. Um, if after Daryl's speech, the big paragraphs, the masters of the universe saw the Armageddon that you were referring to approaching, uh, one way for them to continue manipulation of the market was if they possessed a dark pool of mm. gold metal and they just suddenly flood the market mm. with that. Mm. It doesn't mean they're going back on the gold standard, it just means they're putting the pin on everything you've traded because you see Armageddon coming. And well, no, if they started to do that, no, but if they started to do that, okay, they would have to sell so much gold that it actually removed the backwardation. Exactly. You know, and if that was happening, I'm pretty sure the price would still be falling. You know, yeah, it's supply and demand. If there's yeah. a huge dark pool of gold suddenly yes. arriving, price goes down to. Um, and funnily enough, I do think there is a huge dark pool of gold well, somewhere. I suspect so. You know. Because otherwise, you have to think there's a way of eating these guys, and mm. we all know we'll never be. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that 160,000 ton figure, as I said yesterday, it's, it's only a summation of primary of, of records you know, that go back to whenever. So obviously there was a lot more gold and silver before yeah. those records began, which aren't included in official tallies anywhere. So all this is uh, the flies struggling around in the amber as it sets, because they'll just release the dark pool of gold when they need to? Oh, but the point is though, that that is still only finite, okay? It's still a dark pool, but it's still only a finite dark pool though. Yeah, but we saw 200 tons yesterday, shifted um, prices by $30 overnight. No, well... You could do the series of well, that, if you think about how that transaction would have been done, first of all, I, the IMF repository is in India, so it would have gone from one end of the vault to the other end of the vault. <laughs> and okay. It was decided back in October. And it was decided back in October. You know, there was no actual impact on the market if you think about it. You know. No, but the sentiment has driven. Oh yeah, the sentiment. Yeah, I mean, speculative sentiment. Good. Go well, it. the way you pull the pin on that is to flood the market. <clears throat> well, yes. Yeah. So be careful. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the, the six weeks that uh, 
we temporarily experienced backwardation. Mm. Um, what did that look like? I mean, you, you show us that it was a precipitous fall. Yeah. And, and it's on the next presentation okay. that the professor will learn learned anything from yeah. what happened during those six weeks. Okay, next. Well, you know, you had actually, you know, because if you think about it, um, you know, there are different ways in which you can cross each other, you know, and you have to think about the, the permutations about how the bases and the co-bases can cross each other, you know. So, it will make more sense in the next lecture, but they're, they're, they're you know, I, it could, they could cross like that, or they could cross like that, you know, or they could do something like that, or, you know. I guess at this point I'd, I'd be more interested in, if you can, without preceding the next lecture in your answer, is what, what kind of shape did that, did it have? What kind of shape did the, did, was it a straight line? Oh, I know there was variations, but was yeah. it a trend? Oh, it, it, it looks it? like, it looks something like, you know, it looks, I mean, it was something like, if you, if you say December, oh wait, it was something like, uh, you know, you know, <coughs> it looks like that, basically. And you have to be careful because as you go into contract expiry and you're calculating annualized rates, you're looking at the ratio of two things that are approaching zero, so it does tend to go funny, you know. Um, but, you know, as long as you're sufficiently far away from expiry, that's the kind of thing it looks like. And when it goes back to being... And so when it goes back to... precipitous, is it? it will, uh, well, it depends. You know, it doesn't happen. It could happen, you know, over a week or, you know, two weeks, whatever. Can I just uh, pick you up on your comments about currencies? You talked about... Yeah, of the relative mindset yeah. circulation. Yeah. And your implication was that the stimulus in the US dollar in percentage terms was not high compared to other currencies. Mm -hmm. But I mean, people produce graphs about money supply growth in the US dollar mm -hmm. that is in double digit form. So I'm not quite sure what you meant or how you related it to that or what that tells it is. I, it is in double-digit growth at the moment, but then so is everyone else's. <laughs> it's not as if they're unique in that respect. Even Australia. Even Australia. You know, it's, it's not a dollar problem, it's a paper problem. The dollar will be the last currency to fall. You know, not like the example with the British pound, that in percentage terms, the, mm. the expansion of the British pound is much greater than the US dollar. So yeah. That's true. It is true. Very, very true. So Britain's still growing. You know, and the, and the reason, the, it's, 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 it's an erroneous line of argument, like people may say that, you know, silver should be more expensive than gold because it's a lot rarer than gold, you know. They're kind of looking, looking at it the wrong way. It should already be more expensive than gold if that was a valid justification for relative value. That it's not means that their reasoning was wrong, you know. Yeah. And value is not determined by scarcity. It's all right for a, a first approximation if you're a five-year-old school kid or something, but not if you're doing high economics, you know. Really? Can I follow on to that question? You put a dollar sign up there. Yeah. What dollar is that? And one, and two, and three, what we can do? That was just descriptive. It wasn't an actual representative. You know, you should use... There are some arguments as whether you should use repos in your calculation as well. There's a huge range of yeah. dollar. Which dollar is it? So yeah. I use I use M3, you know, which includes repos. You know. Use and the same for all of them. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, there's a debate as to whether you should re use repos in, in it as well, but you know, repos still adds to the money supply. You know. The US hasn't published M3 for some You can get shadow websites that calculate. Yeah. The, uh, the timing. Uh, can you comment on your research on the when you take the reading yeah. of uh, bits and all that? Yeah. Uh, you say near the PM fix. Yes. PM fix. Yeah. Do you uh, research before that? Or? I do. I have done. I used to take three. I used to do one in the morning, afternoon, and one at the PM fix. There wasn't enough deviation in all of them though. 
to say that I should monitor all of them. You know, the PM, 3 p.m. in London is when most foreign exchange is being cleared. Obviously, when the gold market is being fixed, you're at the height of trading in New York. You know, you're at the height of trading in Europe. You know, so all implicit flows would be maximum at 3 p.m., which is why I only look at 3 p.m. Um, during the, the option expiring, you know, the price of people under pressure to unwind the position. Option expiring, yes, you know, triple witching, I might take another observation, you know. But because I, I've got, I'm responsible for my clients' funds as well as <laughs> calculating the basis, you know, I can't take time out to come. Because it takes 25 minutes each time I do it to get the, the thousands of tick observations that I get. And when I'm doing that, I can't actually use my computer for anything else. So um, I have to find a way of improving that. Uh, but that's the only limitation on it at the moment. But if you stick to 3 p.m., you know, you're not going to find that it was significantly different if you checked it at 12 p.m. You know, or, or 5 p.m. You know. But if there is a special triple witching day, you know, sure, do it. Any more questions? I apologise for it being very, uh, very um, not very clear. Um, that's more my fault, obviously, than anyone else's. Um, obviously. <laughs> Oh, crap, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'll on that for the next time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see that. <laughs> 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 All right, we'll... Uh, I'll Sandy, uh, there are books on theoretic warehousing. Mm. How much of this uh, material can you find in existing textbooks? I didn't know that there were textbooks <laughs> on warehousing. <laughs> In other words, you are a very modest man, and you presented the results of your original yes. research, and none of that is yet in the public domain, apart from this particular meeting. Absolutely, you're all a privileged lot. 